You're listening to Kidding Ourselves. I'm Emily. And I'm Brian. This show is about our journey to parenthood through adoption. Today we're talking about the first home study visit, which is the first of several visits with a caseworker. And this one specifically takes place in our home, whereas the other two may not. And, and the second one, at least, does not. Yeah. Don't know about the third one yet. But there are going to be three visits with a caseworker that are considered part of the home study. So um, we're also going to talk about some trainings that we've had to do and that we're still working on doing. Um, we'll talk about our upcoming interviews with our caseworker, some... Um, books we're reading, and then going to go through some home safety recommendations that were given to us at our home study. And you can assess your home if you have kids and see if (laughs) you would meet these recommendations. This is a judgment-free zone. If any of you, if any of our millions of listeners don't have all these things on their checklists marked off. Are you going to say our millions of listeners every episode? Well, I don't want to leave anybody out. Okay. (laughs) All right, so let's get into the home study visit that took place here in this very house. Mm-hmm. What was it, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago? Yeah, about two weeks ago. Yeah, so... It was honestly a lot more low-key than I thought it was going to be. Way more low-key, for sure. We didn't know exactly what it was going to look like. Um, had heard from other friends who've adopted that the first visit is never... Um, Like, it's not super intense or anything, but it was nice to kind of find that out for ourselves. Well, they told us specifically, please do not worry about excessive cleaning. (laughs) But at the same time, you're like, well, I want it to be clean because, I mean, we are clean people. We keep our house clean. We like it to be clean. But I definitely did mop that day and, you know, went and, and did the extra stuff that don't happen every week. And of course, I was out of town the weekend prior playing shows, and I got home, and I don't know if I would say excessively clean, but the house was very clean. It smelled like Mr. Clean, whatever that mop solution is that we use. It's probably just Mr. Clean mop solution. Maybe so. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Anyway. Jinx. jinx. Dang. (sighs) All right. So, our caseworker uh, arrived at our house, and... um, our very clean house. And uh, we'd actually met her the week previously because she was um, at a a training class that we went to um, about, you know, some other kind of ancillary adoption stuff. And uh, so she came here and we chatted for a little bit, just sat in the living room and talked for a little while. And um, she just asked us some basic questions about like when we got married and um, how long we've lived here in Nashville and in our home what we and, like about our neighborhood and yeah. whether we know our neighbors. Yep. That was interesting. I was glad we could say yes to that one. Yeah, it's pretty nice. Um, big shout out to, uh, to Tim and Megan. And Joyce. And Joyce. What's and her husband's name? Ray. Ray. Hi, Ray. Hey, Ray. Uh, we don't have neighbors on the other side because the house is still being built forever. <laughs> rebuilt. It's or been rebuilt. under reconstruction for two and a half years yeah almost yeah practically as long as we've lived here yeah it's nuts anyway um 
And then after she asked us some basic questions, she wanted a tour of the house. And so we took her down the basement. We looked at the kitchen. <laughs> that uh, sounds so creepy. To, just put her in the basement. Um, the dungeon. Yeah. And then, you know, checked out the living room, the bedrooms, our room, and um, talked a little bit about some of the things that we would need to plan on on purchasing prior to, you know, our, our kiddo coming home. Yeah. Um, I actually have that home safety checklist right here if we want to dive in to I those. We, I think we should save it. Okay. Give, give the people... Build suspense. Some, yeah. Something to look forward to. Um, but then after that, she said, cool, well, I'll get in touch with you about scheduling our next visit and see you later. And the whole thing was like... It was 45 minutes. 45 minutes. And I think she told us most take about an hour, so it was even shorter. Maybe some places have... Um, like bigger spaces to look at, or maybe they have more questions. Who knows? We did ask a lot of questions and I appreciated her time in talking to us about those. We were just kind of clarifying some things we'd heard at different trainings and agency related events we'd been to and really just had had some questions building over the last, I guess now three months since we went to our Mm -hmm. orientation. Yeah. So she was very gracious and patient and I'm sure she's used to it, but I felt like I was asking a lot of questions. Yeah, but it was, uh, it was pretty easy and and low key. And, um, it was basically, she was just kind of covering information that we had already been given for the most part. So there weren't any surprises or anything. Um, any of you that were worried about it, like we didn't hide the knives or anything, all that. Anyway, oh, from last time, yeah, from the last episode. No, they were safely tucked away in drawers yeah. that will eventually need to be locked. Drawer or childproof, not drawer proof. Got to drawer proof the drawers. Oh yeah, it's childproofing. Yeah, we're gonna do that. Anyway, so the first home study visit was great, and our next meetings with her will actually be interviews. Um, that the two of us will do separately. So mm-hmm. she'll interview Emily and then she'll interview me. And it seems like with our organization, they really want to just like get to know you better as a person. And um, I think, you know, try to address like any, you know, concerns that you've got. Um, they've been asking us, you know, through the form of uh, paperwork and stuff that we had to fill out a lot of questions just about our past and like how our home lives were when we were growing up and we were kids um, what our family is like, our relationships with different people. And so I think they'll, they'll take all that information and then use it to, you know, formulate any additional questions and make sure there's nothing, you know, they need to address. No red flags. Yeah, exactly. The way that it was told to us is that it's honestly a little bit more like a counseling session than like an interview. Yeah. So that's, um, in, Another week, we've got a little bit of time. Not that you can really do anything to prepare. I mean, your life is your life. So um, it's pretty much just going to be whatever you wrote on all those papers. Well, what I wrote. I don't think you've finished yours yet. Way to call me out. In front just of, trying to keep you on task. In front of all of our friends. <laughs> yes, I have not finished mine yet, but I will. They're not due until the end of the home study. I just don't want you to feel overwhelmed in the last week of trying to like scramble and spend all the all your time yeah 
completing them. So anyway, after our individual interviews, the third and final visit, which will take place at an unknown location, will be an interview with the both of us. And so you should say an undisclosed location, then it sounds really interesting. Top and, secret classified yeah. location. <laughs> exactly. Probably their offices. <laughs> Either their offices or our living room. One yeah. or the other. Why not the bathroom? <laughs> we don't have a big enough bathroom. That's fine. Plus, that would be weird. For you, maybe. Anyway, so that's the home study process, as we understand it so far. Yep. So we're glad to have the first one out of the way because that felt like the one that everyone gears up for, like with all the cleaning and um, maybe even like getting rid of stuff and making room for a kiddo. And so um, that seems like the hard part for us anyway will be behind us. Yeah. And then once the home study process has been completed, we will be available to be selected, you know, assuming everything goes well and they give us the big check mark, then they'll start shopping us around. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about some home safety suggestions that they gave us. And these are things that when it was emailed to us, I thought, wow, we have a lot to do before we can get approved. But when she came over... Um, our caseworker ended up saying, so these are just things that you'll want to do. And, you know, they're state requirements. We, we have to go over these, but, um, there are suggestions and a lot of them really only apply once your child is mobile. And so that took a little bit of pressure off because I was thinking, wow, there are like 20 things on here we need to buy. And so we're not going to go through all of the things but I did want to highlight some that I thought were maybe, I don't know, things that I wonder, do other people do this? Like people who just have children biologically, are these things they think about? And I'm sure that most do, but more when that mobility is starting and, you know, you you really have to worry about it. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to get a heads up. Yeah. There were a lot of things that I hadn't really thought about. Nope. Not in, like, you know, intentionally. They're the really obvious things like, you know, keep dangerous things like knives out of the reach of the child. If you have a gun, make sure it's locked as a trigger guard and everything on it, trigger lock, whatever that's called. Um, we don't have one. Yet. <laughs> okay. Well, um, so let's go through a few of these. So the first thing on the list is a fire extinguisher on every level of the home. And that makes perfect sense because, like, if there's a fire blocking your stairs or something, it, I don't know, maybe you could put it out with your fire extinguisher um, and get to your kids' rooms or whatever. It probably just depends. But we happen to have three levels. And we are one-third of the way to having a fire extinguisher yes. on every level. We do have one in the kitchen, but even that is a recent purchase. So if you don't have a, even one fire extinguisher, you may want to consider getting one. They're surprisingly not expensive, I think ours was $20 and it's a general use one um, just for kind of all the different types of fires. And it just makes me feel better knowing we have it. Yeah, for sure. You can get it at Home Depot, Amazon, et cetera. They do also have special fire extinguishers for certain areas of the home. Yeah. 
like for the kitchen, you know, in case it's a grease fire or something like that. And I think there's even one like for a basement in case, I don't know, your furnace explodes or something. Well, if that happens, I think we're going to be in more trouble than just needing a fire extinguisher. Yeah. But um, the other thing kind of related is having an evacuation plan. And I guess this is something I've thought about. Like our room happens to be in the converted converted attic of our house. And so it's it's basically, I guess, the second floor of our house. Um, and so I have thought like, what if we needed to get out of here? Um, especially after that This Is Us episode. If you guys watch, you know what I'm talking about. Spoiler alert. Brian doesn't watch anymore. He made him too emotional. I just I just can't deal. But um, anyway, they clearly needed an evacuation plan. The Pearsons did. And uh, so that's something that we're going to have to think about we did get and this was separate but we did get an escape ladder for our second story so um if we had to get out through our one window up there well i guess we have two but yeah the one that's easily accessible um we could do that with like a fold up ladder that we just keep in our closet so for escape slash fun we have a ladder um we have not had any fun with it yet but I kind of keep forgetting that we have it. Anyway, so also carbon monoxide detectors on every level that is being inhabited by someone. So we have a carbon monoxide detector on our main floor, but we will also need to have one upstairs, as it turns out. And then eventually, if we have a room in the basement, put one down there too. So another good thing to get, Home Depot, Amazon, etc. Yeah, again, not that expensive. I mean... I think ours was like 20 or $25. So, I mean, it's a long-term investment in a way because you'll use it forever. It shouldn't, ours plugs in. So as long as the power's on, it's working. Hopefully. It's always said zero. Yeah, that's a good thing. So, should be fine. Um, The one thing that I thought was really interesting that our caseworker brought up that I had genuinely not thought about ever before is turning down the heat of your water heater, the, I guess the, the heat level of your water heater, it uh, is recommended to be set to 120 or below. So we got a new water heater last year, I think, or maybe two years ago, and it is very efficient. It's real hot. It works real well. I've scalded my hand for sure on just having the water on the hottest hot but I never I know you can turn it down but I never thought about a certain temperature yeah and it made me wonder like aren't hot tubs around like 104 or something or 102 104 so even 120 I mean because when you first get in a hot tub your body reacts to that like you're being scalded a little bit so I wonder if 120 is I just wonder what that's based on I guess yeah I don't know but we'll do it because that sounds like a good idea, clearly. For sure. If we've burned ourselves, then a kid could too. <laughs> Just from the tap. Yeah. Um, another one that was interesting to me that I just had never given any thought to, and I'm sure parents who or people who are already parents may know this, but you can have your car seat checked for proper installation at your local fire department. And, um, I just think that's a really cool service. I never would have thought to go there, but it's smart. I actually, I don't know if I've told you this, 
but I heard about, and I still, I want to find the video. I haven't watched it, but I heard about this mom who turned a corner kind of fast and her door flew open and the car seat flew out with her kid in it. Oh my gosh. And it, her kid was perfectly fine. Thankfully, like she was strapped well in the car seat, but something, I guess just a freak accident allowed the door to open. And then the car seat, which wasn't properly latched in, flew out the side of the door. Crazy. I know. So So we will be going to our local fire department to make sure that that does not happen to us. Yeah. Emily is a crazy driver. I am not. Don't want any kiddos flying out the out the car door. Some people have called me an excellent driver. Very cautious yet um defensive, you could say. In the in a good way. Yeah. yeah. Defensive driving is the way to drive, not offensive driving. Yeah. But you don't have to get defensive about it. <laughs> I won't. A pretty interesting figure is um, that we were told is around 70% of car seats are installed incorrectly. So some food for thought. The, uh, the last thing that we wanted to point out on the, uh, on the home safety checklist is toilet locks. I don't know if I've ever seen a toilet lock before. I have, but I mean, I've done a lot of babysitting, so I feel like most people do use those, but Is you just like prevent, prevent your... it from flushing? No, no. To um, prevent your kids from like getting in there, like playing in it with their hands, I guess, mostly. Oh, like the lid. Because it's dirty. Yeah. It, it keeps the lid locked to the seat or cool. to the bowl, I guess. It's going to be really funny. <laughs> when one of us wakes up in the middle of the night, need to go to the bathroom and like, oh gosh, can't figure out the toilet lock. Well, hopefully we won't need one on ours if we're able to keep the, well, depending, just the way our house is. I'm not seeing past like the bassinet stages, a kid really needing to be in our room much. So that's fair. So another thing that is a requirement um, with our agency is for both Emily and I to be trained in CPR. Um, both adult and uh, infant CPR. And so fortunately with Emily's job, she already is certified, which is great. Yep. (laughs) But I had the distinct pleasure this past weekend of spending my Saturday morning learning about CPR. So it was a good refresher. I've been certified before as a lifeguard years ago um, and then also for work. But it was uh, was nice to get to be hands-on with a cool half man dummy dummies yeah some dummies um yeah but we learned all about um, cpr and how to use an aed which i don't uh, we probably won't buy one of those (laughs) no they're expensive um but then also first aid got to see some real quality bad acting in some of those uh those safety videos but it was pretty amusing yeah and i have to get certified every two years for work And so while Brian didn't need to be certified and I don't need to be certified, they um, accepted my certification as obviously that. And then proof you know what you're doing. Yeah. And then he just had to do like a training, but he's not certified now, which I wish they would just go ahead and give you the certification. Yeah. The woman said the instructor said that she could provide that. I think you have to pay more money. Ah, of course. Probably. But of course, yep. Now we're all uh, we're all trained up and ready for. How did you pay for that, by the way? I didn't. Oh, were they going to bill us for it? Nobody said anything, so I don't know. 
Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well. I kind of I, I kind of hijacked uh, an existing foster care class. Um, so, yeah, I have no idea. Okay. Well, we'll see if they send us a bill. But... Just put it on the tab. Put it on my tab. All right. Let's move on to some of the trainings that we're doing. Besides, I guess, CPR, that's a training. But um, we have done... We've had to create an account with this online training service, and there are four of those that we're going to have to do. And so we've done two of the four, and um, they were interesting. They're thorough. They're very thorough. It was the first one, especially, was a lot of stuff that we had already talked about at our orientation. So it felt a little repetitive, but. There was some good information for sure. They were just, they're about two hours each. And so we've been dividing them up into one hour sessions and um, it, it like kind of talks to you and it has slides and um, it's basically like sitting in on a webinar Mm -hmm. and then you have to answer some questions or type in some responses at times. And um, so it'll give you like scenarios and, Things like that. So you have to actually be paying attention. You also have to click next for every slide, which um, definitely does keep you engaged because it it can be easy to just tune out uh, whatever, you know, this voice (laughs) is saying. And then that when it stops on the end of the slide, it kind of reminds you to pay attention again. Yeah. And it it covers every conceivable scenario. Children, you know, adopted at different times and from different backgrounds and having had different experiences. So it's uh, it's kind of interesting. Definitely some stuff, since we're doing domestic infant adoption this time around, um, some stuff that we haven't really, you know, been actively thinking about, but very, you know, real situations that people are in. Yeah. And we never know what what will be the case for our kid. Even adopting, being adopted at birth can come with some trauma and you know that is um separation from your birth parents could could be a trauma so we'll just have to see and um so the trainings we've done so far are openness because most adoptions nowadays are open to some extent yeah and then the one we just finished was um how to talk about adoption with your kids yes so again, very interesting. I'm sure like it is helpful and I'm, but it's hard to see or feel like it's helpful right now because we're just so far away from that stage where we would need to have the conversation with our kid or whatever. And it's not one conversation. It's going to be, you know, something that we talk about. It's like, it's like a lifelong conversation. Yeah. Really. And, and we ex- fully expect for it to be a present topic of conversation all throughout um, even at the beginning. So, um, just want to make that as normal as possible in our house. So yeah. in addition to the online trainings, there are also some, um, in-person sessions that we can go to. Those are kind of like electives. We are required to do a certain number of training hours total, and they have a list. Um, I think usually one or two a month. Um, I think one just classes that are held at different locations around Nashville, and they uh, cover a a range of topics. We went to one recently that was all about um, substance abuse, like prenatal substance abuse. So that's, that's really interesting. And there was a lot of, a lot of really, um, really interesting information in that one. Yeah, they, 
they had a Vanderbilt doctor. I think she worked in the NICU, works mm-hmm. in the NICU. And yeah. she, so she got to tell us from her perspective, here's what that looks like if your child is born um, and needs to withdraw from drugs. Yeah. And and they talked about all the different kinds of drugs, like the most commonly abused substances and, and what the effects are on on children. You know, if it's something that will, you know, kind of be over with, you know, in a shorter span or sometimes things that stick with them for their entire lives. Yeah, I was surprised to learn that it seems like, or from what I I understood, most drugs after withdrawal don't, they, they can't identify any long-term effects. Um, Not like crazy serious ones. Yeah, I mean, they might, the problem is that they have trouble in research identifying what's related to the drug use versus other things that a birth mom could have had going on like stress. And, um, you know, if the baby comes before the due date, was that because of drugs or was that, um, related to just, you know, kind of one of those things that happens, it was just early, um, or whatever. But I was surprised to learn that alcohol actually has the longest lasting effects and and they can be physical Mm -hmm. effects and while all the drug situations are severe and you know awful for um any child to have to go through it just um kind of made me feel a little bit better I think hearing like the realities from the perspective of a doctor who deals with it every day yeah for sure it also brings a little bit of um kind of peace of mind knowing that, you know, because we were asked uh, the question in some of our paperwork, like, do we feel comfortable um, adopting from a birth mother who was using something while she was pregnant? And so I think when we read that question initially, we both kind of felt like, oh, that like seems kind of kind of dangerous just really at all. Um, but, you know, our fears were certainly um, allayed just knowing that it's not just always crazy, like horrible things for the child's entire life. Yeah. I mean, so we learned that a baby can't be addicted because addiction involves choice. And so what happens when they're born is they start going through withdrawal, which um, is this time where they're closely watching the baby. Sometimes it requires medication to help them withdraw. Sometimes it requires like, um, they called them snugglers, those volunteers who go to hospitals and just snuggle babies. Um, and they can do things to like, um, reduce stimulation in the room. And, and they've found these coping mechanisms that can be really soothing to babies in that situation. And, it takes, they do that for sure for five days and it takes up to two weeks for withdrawal to complete. Um, and so in that case, your baby, I was also relieved to learn would be completely under doctor's supervision in the hospital. You don't take him home and like have to deal with that on your own. Apparently back in the day, that's exactly what they did. And then realized that it's, it's not safe, first of all, um, when a child needs, you know, that sort of care and um, kind of supervision, I guess. Um, but it's also just so hard on the family. 
because you've gone from not having a baby to having a baby. And then on top of that, having a baby who's going through withdrawal. And so the, the standard now is that the baby is in the hospital the whole time so that it can be, you know, everything's taken care of just as quickly as possible. Yeah. And then, you know, we asked and, or like not we ourselves, but people in the room with us asked how often that is the case, like, especially with our particular agency, how often are they seeing that situation? And it wasn't often. It's not like every single baby who's placed for adoption has has to experience that. And so, you know, we we don't know what the case will be for us. And we'll still have the choice to say anyone who's adopting has the choice to say what level of comfort they have with each scenario. Mm-hmm. And so we're just kind of going to wait and see. And our response was always, I think on that original form, it was like maybe kind of that case by case basis thinking. So now we just feel more informed, like we could make that decision when the time comes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, lastly, um, it's not as much a training, but we have to read a book. This one in particular is called The Connected Child. And it's a really popular one because I know I'd heard of it before um, just from things I'd read and um, even a past employer. Um, So, I mean, I'm about halfway through it, maybe a little over. And again, it's one of those things where they're talking through so many scenarios that you don't know if you're going to deal with. So it can be kind of hard to even try to remember what you're reading because it it seems like one of those books you would want to have on your bookshelf when the time comes in case you need to refer to it but it's just so packed with information and stories and scenarios that I I don't know how much I'm retaining I I am trying to take a few notes I don't know if there's going to be like a quiz or something to prove that we've read it but I I do have I had to set like reading goals for myself to get through it a little bit I have not started reading it yet. <laughs> but you're a fast reader. And That's so true. you've got three weeks to read it. Yeah. Um, that means well, I only have three weeks to finish it. Exactly. <laughs> I uh, I think that's about all the information kind of about, you know, the requirements as far as training and education go. Yeah. All of this is supposed to be wrapped up by the end of the home study period. So um, if we are able to wrap up by end of March, early April, which is kind of what we're on track for, then we also need to have all these forms, all these trainings, et cetera, done by that time as well. So we're really working hard on it to get it done. And um, I think we're going to be fine. We just have to maybe set some more goals, more intentional goals, (laughs) and make sure we don't leave anything out. So, I mean, and our caseworker will remind us, I'm sure what we need and what she's lacking. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, shall we do our culture capsule? Let's shall. Cool. Enter cool sound here. Should I go first? Yeah, you go first. Okay. Um, so today I'll start with a, a story. Today, I woke up and thought, wow, I'm still really tired, but um, I didn't even look at my clock. I didn't want to because it's it's not something I usually need to do on the weekend. I feel like I pretty consistently wake up by 830. 
And if I sleep later than that, it's because I went to bed late. So I didn't do that. I went to bed at a normal time. And I noticed that you were still next to me, which is rare because you just typically wake up at least an hour, 30 minutes to an hour before me. And um, so by the time either of us looked at the clock and it said 1030, we were like, what? What's happening? What did we do? Why are we asleep at 1030? And then, um, you know, I'm, I'm just like racking my brain thinking, thinking like, what? Like, why am I so tired or why did I need to sleep so long? And then it hit me. I read one thing leading up to today about daylight savings time. And that is what it was. But so really I slept, I still slept an hour longer, but, um, my, my culture capsule is related to that in that I read, or you told me maybe, and I double checked that there's like potential legislation to change that, um, in Tennessee. And I'm all about it. I just want to, I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't, I mean, nobody likes to spring forward. You lose an hour of your weekend. It's the worst. And also it gets dark here in the winter at 430. And so if we kept it, um, I forget, is it ending or it's starting? I think now it's starting. Daylight savings time starts. Because we're saving more daylight? Yeah. You're like getting more daylight through the summer. So sure. anyway, I think that's right. And so <laughs> by keeping it that way that would mean like in the in the winter when normally it would get dark at 4 30 it would be 5 30 so I want that I really want that yeah but it would also be darker in the morning longer and I have to get up um, and get going by six some mornings and it's still dark then in the winter so does that mean it would be dark at seven I don't know I don't know but anyway I I think it would be worth it so that's my culture capsule. I'm going to call our, um, uh, our senator. Who is it? It's not the senator. Congressperson. Um, representative is who I would contact okay. to support that. Yeah. So maybe I should do that. Yeah. Be, be more involved in, in your local government. I think we'd only be the third state to do that. Arizona and Hawaii don't, um, do the switch every year. So, well, for my culture capsule, I don't have anything particularly poignant, but I am excited to be traveling back to Texas this week. Going to be playing some shows in Dallas and Austin, doing a um, little South by Southwest show, Whoop. which will be a lot of fun. Um, we're, we'll be driving to, to Austin, playing the show, and then driving right back to Dallas because we have a show there the next day. So it'll be a lot of driving, but... As Emily and I are both originally from Texas, one thing, especially near and dear to my heart, is a franchise called Whataburger. You may or may not have heard of it. You may or may not have heard of it. And if you haven't heard of it, now you have. And depending on where you're listening from, you may or may not have seen that glorious orange and white roof, those delicious <laughs> burgers kept inside. Uh, I feel very passionately about it, as does the entire band that I'm with. And we don't have Whataburger in Nashville. Nope. There was one's one. in Alabama. Yeah, there was one apparently back in like the 80s, maybe early 90s, but it just w didn't do well. And so they closed it, which is what? a travesty. Um, so every once in a while. A travesty. It really is. 
we can drive about three hours south to Birmingham to the closest Whataburger. I don't know why they get one and we don't. But they respect it. They use it. Yeah, they I guess want so. It. I guess so. You would not believe the number of people that got just like outrageously excited when there was a rumor that Whataburger was coming to Nashville. That's true. Like it was, it, a lot. it was nuts. Like I was seeing it online. I was hearing people like several different people talk about it in person. It was it was a big thing. It was kind of like whenever the rumor started that Torchy's Tacos was coming Ugh. to the Gulch. Torchies, come here, please. Yeah, we love Tennessee for a number of reasons, but there's one thing, well, I guess two things, that it just cannot compete uh, with Texas on, and that's Whataburger and Tex-Mex. <laughs> oh, Tex-Mex. There is a Chewy's here, but even that it's different. is different. And I don't know if I'm saying that as much from experience as like, I mean, we have been a couple times maybe, but it's like, in the mall, it's, it's such a weird location. It just doesn't have the same vibe. It didn't taste as spicy to me. Um, well, because apparently they, they change the down. recipes yeah. for different parts of the country. So Chewy's is like spread nationwide at this point. You can go to, I think, like Pennsylvania and eat at Chewy's. Really? Well, we want the original stuff. We want the Tex-Mex. Yeah. We'll uh, be back in Austin this summer together. And I think we might have to go to the uh, the OG Chewy's. Ooh, that'd be a good idea. We should eat at one restaurant a day that will really satisfy all of our cravings going forward. Because Trudy's, Trudy's is good too. Trudy's is good. Um, anyway, we won't bore you with more <laughs> restaurants that we can't even eat at. But you can tell that we we do miss the food scene a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think that about wraps us up for this episode. Thanks for sticking with us. If you have any recommendations for places that we should eat when we're in Austin, feel free to get in touch with us. Uh, you can email us at kiddingourselvespodcast at gmail.com or get in touch with us on Instagram at kiddingourselvespodcast. Yep. So, until next time, that's the show. That's the show. All right. You want to play us out? Sure thing. If you'd like to be a part of helping bring our kiddo home, visit adopttogether.org slash kidding ourselves. Again, that is adopttogether.org slash kidding ourselves. Our theme music is by Honoraries and Volunteer, featuring Brian Cox on drums.